And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, conversationalists across the fruited plain, Mr. and Mrs. America, all the ships at sea, captains, courageous, princes of the universe, people from the wrong side of the track, and the ladies who lunch, it's Open Line Friday. And it's been a week. I'm glad it's Friday. Glad it's Friday. My goodness. Oh, oh, my goodness. All right. Yes, we are here. We are live, and there are plenty of things to talk about. Uh, some of them, some of them, probably a little bit more enjoyable than others. Uh, but here we go. Um, my name is Jason Hutton. I'm the editor here at Sci-Fi for Me. Uh, where over on the .com, we just posted an article about uh, last week's Nintendo Direct. So go check that out if you are into that kind of thing. If not, that's fine too, but you can share. And uh, let's see what else we got. The, um, the podcast podcast platform apparently is working again so we're caught up there uh and and folks if you are listening to us in a podcast form uh don't forget if if there's ever any kind of a problem with downloads or anything like that you can email sci-fi for me radio at sci-fi for me.com and then i'll score of course check out the live video or the or the replay that's fine i mean you don't have to be here live you could be in the chat if you're here live uh, but you can always leave a comment after the fact as well. We've got all the social media, the email address here, live from the bunker at sci for mecom I do read every email. I read every comment. And we have the Discord server, Death Angel Shadow, already dropping that link in the chat. <coughs> uh, what a week. What a week. I just... It just, I don't know where to start. Ladies who lunch. The ladies who lunch, not lunge. Reminds me of Far Out Space Nuts. I said lunch, not launch. Anyway, all right. Welcome, everybody. <laughs> Thanks very much for being here. I, um, I gotta say, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the week. I really am. It's, it's not bad. It's just there's a lot happening, and I got to be in six different places at once. Just a real quick heads up about in about half an hour ish, uh, somewhere in there, I'm going to have to jump out for just a second to deal with something that's coming in for people that are that are coming into the compound. But um, we will be in capable hands because Christopher Hoffman is uh, here with me, as he always is. Good afternoon, Christopher. Good afternoon. How are you, uh, aside from having a, a week, as uh, it were? Well, you know, I'm... Mm, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's. I mean, what... When do I not have a week? I guess is the is the more appropriate question. So, I don't know. It's just one of those things. I don't know. How are you doing? You're, and then, uh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I have... Uh, uh, 
been catching up on uh, some, I guess, bingeable TV and, and uh, having fun with that. Um, I'm looking forward to this uh, new Christoph Waltz um, kind of horror thriller series that's coming on Amazon Prime that's called The Consultant. Oh, yeah, I've seen some stuff about that, yeah. And that, that looks... Uh, that looks really, really intriguing. And that he he plays a consultant at a tech firm um, that was hired uh, to improve productivity and efficiency. And um, it seems like some of his techniques include um, uh, kidnapping um, and and throwing bags over the heads of inefficient. Uh, uh, didn't wait did this sounds familiar didn't anthony hopkins do a movie along these same lines the the i don't know if it was called the consultant or if it was called something else but i want to say that anthony hopkins did a movie like this and that um possibly i'm not really i'm not really sure on that because i think he played an, an efficiency expert of some sort so let me I I I I every now and again will have these little uh, bursts of memory uh, of random <coughs> excuse me random things that uh, that stick in my head and it's uh, let me see if I can find what I'm thinking about because this has been a while back. Uh, was it before? It was before Nick's. The efficiency expert. Ah, the efficiency expert. Nineteen ninety-one. Yes, I was. I thought. I thought there was something about that. Uh, an expert in productivity shows wacky workers in 1966 Australia how to run their moccasin factory like clockwork. Okay, that sounds like it sounds like a comedy. Anyway, all right. So I wasn't crazy. <laughs> I wasn't crazy. <coughs> so anyway, Cyber uh, Snipe says it sounds like the plot to Nine to Five. Um. Okay, Death Angel said, I have a meeting in about 20 minutes. Otherwise, I jump on and talk about the latest news on the balloons. Just posted a couple things in Discord. All right, I saw those. Apparently, uh, we shot down a uh, we shot down a balloon for a ham radio operator club, looks like. <laughs> those pesky ham operators. <sighs> and and I, uh, I know that they've uh, actually come out and it's like okay folks they're not ufos they're not aliens that's true but at the same time um at the same time when you're letting a flying object from the chinese communist government overfly sensitive military installations and you don't do anything about it for a week I think there are other questions to be asking as to whether, or, you know, let, let's set aside the UFO question. Let's let's ask why that was allowed to happen, right? I don't know. 
All right, let me look here in the chat. Let's see who's here. I mentioned Sci-Fi Snob. Death Angel Shadow is here. I see who else. Keely is in here. Vince, Matoin, MS. Good to see all of you here. Uh, let's see who else is here. Vince says it's about 10 o'clock here. He's, see, and yeah, people are talking about uh, Gary and Friday Night Tights. I think uh, if if Gary were to ever be on time for any of his streams I, I caught his stream yesterday talking about Picard <coughs> I don't I don't think he's ever been on time for any of his streams at all but that's just the way that goes all right so um let me do this all right let's put let's put the link in the chat we'll pin it let me do the pinning I'm gonna pin you all ladies and gentlemen all right there it is all right, so the link is in the chat. If anybody wants to call in and uh, discuss what you want to discuss, let's keep the F-bombs to a minimum. <laughs> and and we can stay relatively within the science fiction, fantasy, and horror space. That's, that's Although stuff that's going on in, in, in Ohio kind of fits the whole dystopian future, Fahrenheit 1984 stuff, too. So that... Uh, Anyway, all right. Oh, I um, yeah, I I've got something to add to to that. Yeah. <laughs> and that, um, yeah, they they uh, they had a town hall meeting, and the mayor's trying to you know get everybody you know kind of under control a little bit, you mm -hmm. know, and just and saying that it's it's not my problem, it's not your problem, it's our problem. He's trying to unite everybody. Oh, sure, sure. Right. And typical politician. That, uh, well well, I mean it it looked like he, it looked like he was he was about as prepared as one could be for something like this that you know, ne was never expected in a town, a small little town. Sure. Um, the thing that gets me the most is that most of the town gathered for the town hall, figure out if they can come back, you know, all the stuff and everything like that. Norfolk, the railroad company, decided not to come because they were afraid for the safety of their employees, yeah. which they didn't say they were afraid from the town, you know, for the town folk, you know, being violent or the environment itself. And, um, yeah, Pro but probably then they both sort of, like <laughs> kind of backtracked it and, and said, okay, well, yeah, but we're still here. Yeah. You know, we're still here. We're supporting you and stuff like that. And, and that's just, come on, man. <laughs> Well, and you know the, you know FEMA sitting there saying that they don't qualify for for FEMA type stuff, and and I get it. The other agencies are in there, environmental protections in there, Department of Transportation's in there, Health and and Human Services. You know, there's there's a number of different government agencies that are on the ground in in that area around East Palestine, but the optics of you know, when when Governor DeWine sits there and says, well, FEMA told, told, tells us we're not eligible for FEMA assistance because, you know, no homes were destroyed. I, I, what do you do with that? I mean, this is this it, is it was my understanding that um, that the uh, like the, the state actually had to ask 
permission from FEMA. Yeah. Uh, not permission from FEMA, but like, uh, you know, reach out to FEMA and say, hey, look, we have this emergency. We need this help. Um, and so it sounds like, okay, I'm going to throw the ball back to you. You're going to throw it back here, you know? Yeah. And, and well, meanwhile, and my, my question has, it has getting help. Has President Asterisk even declared a, a state of emergency, any kind of a national thing? Because until that trigger gets pulled, there are certain federal resources that cannot get activated yet. So have, have we even declared an emergency on the federal level yet? That That's something that somebody should ask. I don't know if I've seen anything like that. Yeah, and, and I, I don't know. Um, I, I haven't heard anything on, you know, from from uh biden about that uh, or you know from any like news source about him declaring an emergency um and i'm not necessarily sure if i've seen ohio being declared as an emergency like no. maybe maybe palestine you know uh was declared as an emergency well um, i would expect but, given given that some of the people on the ground basically sat there and said We've basically nuked this town. I mean, it's a Chernobyl type of, of incident there. Yeah. Uh, I but don't I know. Mean, look, they're, they're still they're still having uh, there there are still <laughs> problems in Flint. Yeah. After all of these years, and so it's it's it it seems like the local and the local state and federal the people in charge and this is a glittering generality but the people in charge charge the the higher ups yeah um don't necessarily have um kind of empathy or well uh, it's it's like matuin says everybody's sitting around waiting for somebody else to do something so all right let's uh let us uh let us honor douglas browning's question we'll talk sci-fi uh we will we will get into this he that's says great got a little hope for the new upcoming doctor who from russell t davies in november but a bit scared too yeah i mean yeah i think um i think the upcoming doctor who looks promising um and from what we heard last week from Joel Collins talking about what the new TARDIS is going to look like, it sounds like they've uh, they've stepped up their game a little bit in terms of des production design and and what that interior desktop is going to look look like. I'm 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 cautiously optimistic. I don't know. All right, let's uh, let's open up the calls. MS and Sci-Fi Snob both joining us. Welcome, gentlemen. Well, hello. So, what kind of trouble y'all gonna cause today? <laughs> I kid, I kid. I'll uh, I'll uh, let Sci-Fi Snob go first. All right, what Snob, what's up? Is he muted? Is he there? Snob, are you there? All right, MS, go ahead. Okay, I'll go. Well, I wanted to maybe go on the Sci-Fi thing. I wanted to ask a question because I've just debated a lot with a friend of mine, but. Uh, the question I ask him is, as a fan, so when is enough enough as a fan? So, for instance, for me, I haven't watched anything from the new Marvel. Okay. He's My friend's a hardcore Marvel fan. And like me, he feels like, you know, Marvel is deteriorating a little bit. But he'll still go to every movie out in the theater 
and watch it when it drops. You know what I'm saying? Right. Whereas for me, I'm just like, no, I won't do that. Now, my friend's Puerto Rican. <clears throat> I'm actually, I don't know if Biden has made this a thing yet, but I still identify as it. I'm I'm North African, Middle Eastern uh, descent. Okay. okay. So right. my, my dad's side of family is North African. My mom is Sicilian. <laughs> So I feel like uh, for the for us North African Middle Eastern people, we're a little bit more hardcore <laughs> when it comes to things. <laughs> like, yeah. As soon as you get us angry, we're like, "I'm done with you." Yeah, <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying. And my my friend who's Puerto Rican, you know, he they have a different kind of a culture. You know, uh, for him, it's just like, well, even if I don't like these things, I still like these aspects of things. Sure. And I'm asking that in in regards to also the. Uh, Picard season three, which came out. I know a lot of people are liking it. Yeah. And there's a part of me that wants to watch Picard season three, but then there's the other part of me, the, the my dad's side, the family in me that's saying, this is dead to me. Don't right. watch this thing. And I always wrestle with as a fan, when is enough enough? When as a fan, do I say, you know what? You've crossed the line for me. And what do you guys think about that? And people in the chat. Uh, well, go ahead, Christopher. I've got to. I'm, I'll sit here. Um, uh, MS, you you might want to um kind of approach it this way, especially with Picard season three, because we've got like a a new uh showrunner for that season. Um, and uh, Jason saw season one of Picard and was done with it. Yep. Didn't even check out season two. But with this new showrunner, he's he's you know checked out season three, um, and so it's sort of like a not necessarily a a huge reboot, you know. Oh yeah, it of, is of the series, but maybe like a <laughs> yeah, you know, no, no, it's a it's a huge reboot. Okay, okay, I I was gonna be uh, kind of I I guess sort of like tartening it up or no, something like that. And this is maybe this is Terry reset. this is Terry Metallus you know, basically this is the third season. Now, Terry Metallus basically said, "Right, let's scrap it all, start all over again, <laughs> and 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 do the do the next generation reunion we should have started with in in season one that." Patrick Stewart didn't want to well, do. That, that's also part of my question, at least when it comes to Picard, for instance. Like, is this like a, 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 a the farewell tour for the next generation? Yes. Maybe I want to watch it. You know what I'm saying? Because it is. Well, other than that, why why would I invest my time if I'm going to say sure. this is it? And I'm not going to watch. I don't like Discovery, uh, mainly because of things I've, I've said in the chat and things before yeah. where I feel like, They've changed the universe where it's not the universe that I believe Star Trek should be. And unless that unless that fundamental change happens, well, I don't know if I want to invest that time. In. I, I totally get that. And I agree with you. I think we're at the point and I've even said this, you know, with regard to Picard yesterday. But I've, I've talked about this before where I think for fans your individual mileage is going to vary. And I think at, at this point, you know, back back in the day when being a fan wasn't cool and all we had was our fandom and our shared, you know, everybody is a fan of Spider-Man, but we're not going to talk about it that loud because we're going to get beaten up behind the mm -hmm. Kentucky Fried Chicken, right? So it's, 
now that it's more mainstream and anybody can be a fan and it's okay to be a fan, but now you have to be the right kind of fan. I think for everybody, you have an individual level of tolerance. It's up to you to decide how you're going to approach the various different franchises of which you're a fan, whether it's Marvel, DC, uh, Doctor Who, Star Trek, Star Wars, wherever. And it's perfectly fine to sit there and say, this crosses the line, I'm done with the entire thing. It's also okay to sit there and say, I don't like this, but I kind of like this over here. You know, I'm I I'm not a fan of Lower Decks. I hate Discovery. But Prodigy is pretty good, I think. And Strange New Worlds Prod- is... Prodigy's the one with uh, Captain... Uh, that's how, Captain. Yeah, it's got Janeway in, in the animated, animated show. That one's pretty good. Um, Strange New Worlds is not bad. Strange New Worlds almost lost me at a particular episode toward the end of the season. And I, I completely have checked out. I don't care about what they're doing with Spock and T'Pring because it's, it violates all sorts of canon. But in terms of the craft and what they're trying to do, I can appreciate what they're trying to do with that show. Now, Akiva Goldsman just made a big deal with with Warner Brothers. So he's likely gone. He's likely out because season two of of Strange New Worlds is probably going to be his last thing. And then he's off somewhere else. Kurtzman isn't doing anything with Trek anymore. He's got his name on it. But. Season three of Picard, like Robert Byron Burnett says, you know, Metallus basically said, everybody left. Nobody cares what I'm doing, so I'm doing what I want to do. And, you know, we <laughs> apparently it's going to retcon a couple of things out of the first couple of seasons. We've got, um, you know, the absence of certain things. You know, uh, there's no, there's no... You know, lesbian agenda, there's no uh, woke politics type of thing that's in here. As far as everybody that I've seen talking about it, everybody that's been, you know, fairly positive in their reviews, is it is it perfect? No, but it's better than what we've been getting. And it's, you know, same kind of thing with Star Wars. If I like... The Mandalorian, but I don't like the Book of Boba Fett. Then that's okay. If if I if I like Rogue One, and I'm kind of I'm kind of tepid on Andor, but oh, it's better than I it's, it's better than I expected. Yeah. But it's not really it's I'm I uh, it's okay. Well, but, let me ask you a question since you brought up Star Wars because I was also going to segue to that a little bit. So it's like, at what point do you say? And I'm asking people in the chat just get the conversation going, you know. Yeah. At what point do you say maybe I don't want to support uh, Disney Plus anymore? It's right. not just that they're ruining the Star Wars or they're doing this, but if I'm sending money to Disney Plus, that money's going to other places right. that I wouldn't support personally in my personal life. So, you know, I'm just curious what other people think about that as far as. Yeah. How they approach it. Cause I see Matt Tween in the chat said he goes for the cafeteria. Approach. Right. Well, and, and, you know, there is that point where <laughs> if I'm supporting, if I'm supporting Picard season three, I am supporting secret hideout and, and Alex Hurstman. That's a terrible thing. And I, I get, you know, there are certain, there are certain companies that have gone ideological political and I don't do business with them anymore. Gillette's one of them. Um, I don't, you know, a lot of people walked away from the NFL. It, there, it's, 
I think it's on an individual basis what your level of tolerance is and what the what the circumstances are because some of us uh, you know if we're media types some of us are looking at this stuff because it's our job it's it's mm-hmm. part part and parcel of what we yeah. do here but if people are sitting there going I'm done with Disney the thing about it is Disney's not going to care Disney's going to do this stuff. It's going to make it. And until the diversity, inclusion, equity crap, the ESG money stops flowing, they're not doing things for a profit. They're doing things to keep the ESG money rolling. They don't care about you buying a ticket to a movie or paying for access to a park or anything like that. That's a factor in the reports when they give to the shareholders. And the shareholders probably care about that a whole lot more than the corporation does. Sci-Fi Snob's got his microphone working now, so. I, I do. I'm How are working. You? Good, good. So what do you um, think about MS's question? When do, you, when do you decide to walk away from something? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an individual question. Um, you know, people, uh, people need to do what they want. And if they either support or they don't support something, and each, everyone has a different you know, tolerance level for things. Um, despite, uh, despite my moniker, I'm not really that big on telling people what they can or cannot do. Um, you know, it's their choice. Uh, you know, it's an interesting question people. as to, you know, if you want to discuss what your own personal level is and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, and you know, that's, that's an interesting question, but you know, I'm not, I'm not big on telling people, uh, what they, you know, can and cannot do. Yeah, I'm not trying to tell people what they what they should or shouldn't do. Yeah, I mean, not saying I, you are. I have right. Disney Plus right now. You know, we're watching the Bad Batch with the kids, so I'm not saying I, I don't do that. I'm more curious, like when I, you know, when I think about things, like I try to, as somebody who who counsels people from from time to time, you know, if someone comes into your the office or you talk to somebody, you say. Hey, well, these are these are the points where you need to maybe start thinking about this or that. You know, that's something I do in my professional life. So I was just curious, what are some of those points, or what are some if somebody ever had some of that groundwork uh, regarding that? You know, I wonder. Well, let, let me let me let me put it this way because my dad who turns 83 this year, my dad is still one of those people who will fire off a letter or <laughs> in, in some cases an actual letter. Uh, a lot of times nowadays it's an email because of the convenience factor. But he he will take the time to, you know, if, if something irritates him from a, from a customer standpoint, hey, I was in your store the other day and this and yada yada, and I'm not pleased, he will actually fire off a, a, a communique to the people what in charge and say, I, I am a paying customer and I did not get the value I expected from your product. And he'll, he'll do that frequently. And I think we miss out, as customers, we miss out on this notion that we can do that kind of thing because 
corporation, the shareholders, any any kind of publicly traded thing, they're they're in it to make the money for the shareholders. You know, it's all about the dividend or the or the whatever. But if enough paying customers decide I'm done with your product, like with D and D Beyond, look at that. When all of those subscription people started canceling their subscriptions on Moss. D&D and Hasbro and Wizards yeah. of the Coast kind of sat up and took notice and said, okay, this is not going to work. We've got to pivot because we're losing money. We're losing, we're losing customers. And if enough people send emails or send whatever in support of something or against something, that can have a big impact. Way back in the day, before the Internet was a thing, uh, in in marketing circles in the industry, advertising and promotion and marketing and that kind of thing, the general consensus was that there was a ratio for every one person who wrote in a letter, there were a, a, a larger number of people who felt the same way who weren't taking the time to write the letter. I think it was ten. Uh, it could have been ten. I think. I think at one point, maybe I heard fifty. There's been there's been a different a different mix of that stuff. But you look back at the letter writing campaign that saved Star Trek. There was a letter writing campaign that saved Jericho. There was a letter writing campaign that saved Cagney and Lacey. Uh, the Jericho thing. The you know they sent they sent peanuts to the studio um, when Chuck was in danger of being uh, canceled by NBC. Everybody went and bought Subway because Subway was an advertiser. They were a sponsor of Chuck. And so they said, we're going to, we're going to support the business that supports this show. It, it's, a, it's a show of a show of support or, in some cases, a show of defiance. I mean, you remember when, uh, when President Bush 41 said he didn't like broccoli, people started sending broccoli to the White House. You know, it's, it's those kinds of things. Companies notice that sort of thing, and we don't. I don't think we don't. I don't think we do enough of that. And and corporations have now become beholden no. to the twelve people that do it on Twitter. I mean, it 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 is effective, but you've got the corporations are paying to the, are paying attention to the wrong thing because nobody else is doing enough of that elsewhere, and so you get this it, skewed sense of response. Yeah, and and I also think that it's um, with the new sort of mega corporations that we have, you know, like Warner Brothers Discovery, Disney, um, Disney, Marvel, all of this stuff. It, it seems like, um, it seems like there, there isn't that much of a way to like reach out to a specific section of that company. You know, I mean, it's, 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 just to, to say that you're like boycotting Disney, there's so many different aspects of Disney. You know, what, yeah. what are you talking about? You know, that sort of thing. And that just as an example, you know, it, it could be, you know, Warner Brothers Discovery. And, and um, you've got to that kind of like, I'm going to write a letter and someone will actually see the letter mm -hmm. seems to have kind of gone away unless you're on Twitter, you know, and, and then, you know, maybe somebody sees the, the letter, um, with, you know, retweets and stuff like that. Um, but if you're not of, uh, 
if if you're not saying what a vast majority of the people want to be said or it seems like it um you're you're uh kind of living in fear of being uh of being ratioed you know well it's that, like what's, what's your opinion that sort of thing yeah well and, that, that also goes toward how you say what you say because if i'm if i'm if i'm not happy with if i'm not happy with picard and i want to send a sternly worded letter to secret hideout and I can I, I can look them up. I, I can get their address because it's out there. And I can mail them a letter or I can send them an email because most companies have a contact us place you fill out a form. But if I send this sternly worded letter full of expletives and insults and name calling and stuff, that doesn't do any good. If you're if you're saying, you're saying well, you know, you did this and here's why I don't like it. Here's what I would prefer. And I'm sure that there are other people out there that would like this sort of thing because I see a lot of people talking about this. Maybe you might want to think about this if you approach it in a respectful manner because the Internet being the Internet, too many people are so rude and annoying and crass that takes away from what effectiveness you could have offering feedback or criticism. Dear Mr. So let President. let me ask this question. Oh, go ahead. Dear, Mr. Dear Mr. President. There are too many states. Please delete three. Yes, <laughs> I am not a crackpot. Right? Props to so, your uh, props to your old man, Jason. Yeah. So I want to ask this question because I've heard I've heard you say this a few times, Jason. So with the new season of Picard three, uh, who's the who's the showrunner again? Um, Terry Metalis. Okay. Metalis <laughs> has been saying, "Well, they kind of left me to myself. They kind of left me to myself." Right. Yep, right. So the question that came to my mind then was, okay, was it that fans complained and they changed it? Or was it, well, Picard's not doing good. We tried something in season one. We tried something in season two. We're just giving up. And then he was able to come in and say, oh, well, they're giving up. I'll take I'll take the property and I'll, I'll go back to the old way. And now it seems to be a hit. So is, is Paramount learning from this? I think it's well, a, I mean, go the, ahead. The stop. season is, it's the last season. It's canceled. Yeah, right. It's done. It's not going again. Here, let me, let me, uh, let me. Uh, I watched uh, the first episode of Picard last night and this morning because I fell asleep, so I had to uh, watch it. The rest of it in the morning and rewind it a little bit. Um, but let me, let me ask a few questions. Okay. Um, how many, how many people are listed in the end of the first episode with executive producer or co-executive producer credits? Uh, I believe there are sixteen. I counted 14. Did you, okay, 14. So uh, maybe it's 16. I counted 14. Now, how many actors are listed in the end credits of the first episode of Picard, including dark-haired man, bartender, human patron, <laughs> and two computer voices? How many actors? Uh, I couldn't tell you. 13. There are more executive or co-executive producers on well, show now let me. And there are me, actors. Hang on, let me address this for a second, okay? Because a few of those executive producers are executive producers in name only. Um, okay, so you we, we have, think we think we well, don't know for here's, sure. Well, here's here's how this breaks down, right? So Trevor Roth is there as an executive producer because he's the head of the studio. He's got nothing to do with the show, but he's an executive he's executive producer of the show because he's the boss at the studio that makes the show. 
uh, Paramount CBS. He's he's the top dog. Trevor Roth is in charge of all of everything. Rod Roddenberry is an executive producer because he's the creator of Star Trek's son. And he's he's the executive now in charge of Roddenberry Productions, which is a co-producer production company on this show. Now, how much Rod has to do with the daily operations is probably minimal. He probably doesn't do a whole lot except look at things and go, yep, I think that looks good. Let's go with that. Then you have Alex Kurtzman, who is an executive producer because he's in charge of Secret Hideout. And by by all accounts, we've heard Kurtzman is nowhere near this show, not involved in the show, but he's an executive producer because he's one of the people that created the show. Same with Heather Kadin. Same with Akiva Goldsman. Same with uh, who's the Pulitzer Prize winning author that screwed everything up. Uh, I can't remember his name. All of them. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm thinking of one in particular who was he was the showrunner on Picard season one, and he's never worked in television before, ever. That's that was a major mistake for them. Can I ask you a question, Jason? It sounds like my yeah. As you continue, just to clarify something. Yeah. Well, when we're saying executive producer. Right. Right. So, you know, I remember back in all days, Dino De Laurentiis, you know, you had this producer. So what are we saying an executive producer is today? Are they just somebody they just run a few ideas by and they say, no. sounds good to me. Generally, generally, the executive producer are the people responsible for the money. They're yeah. they're the ones who sit there and go, OK, I like your idea. Here's a hundred thousand dollars. Here's a million dollars. Here's 20 million dollars. Go make the thing. Is that different than a producer? A producer manages the resources. So okay. you have executive producer on okay. in in, te- in the television world. It's a little bit different in, uh, in in film, but in television you have an executive producer, you have producers, you have sometimes line producers, which th- that's that's where you get into if you've got more than one show that you're producing. Uh, like say if if you're Desilu Studios, for example, and you're producing Mission Impossible and you're producing Star Trek, well, you have a producer that's looking at both of those, but then you have a line producer that's managing each show. Yeah. So making sure the schedules are, making sure they're on budget, make sure all the <coughs> casting is done, approving all the costumes and the sets and the production design. The producer is the one what makes it go. Then you have the production manager who is kind of a producer in training, but the production manager handles all of the day-to-day operations while the production is in progress. You know, making sure that we're starting on time, that we're producing, you know, we're doing, shooting all of the pages we need to shoot today. We're on schedule. Is there, if there's any problem that comes up, hey, this prop broke, what do we do? This, that kind of thing. We have a weather date. We'll move our operation to this other, sh- other set. That's the production manager. And then the production manager has the assistant directors who are on set. The production manager is overall the the whole thing during the day shooting. The assistant director is actually in the producer's line, and the assistant director is the one who handles the 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 minute to minute operation. We're shooting. Is the camera ready? Is the sound ready? Are the actors ready? Everybody's on set. Last looks. Okay, roll the camera. So that's that's the breakdown. So if you've got so many different executive producers, a lot of them are involved in some level 
in providing the finances or the resources that you need in order to make the thing. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with anything Jason says. I, I don't know what those executive producers are doing. Maybe they're doing nothing. I will note that Patrick Stewart is an executive producer. Yes. But and and I mean, that was know, and that was part of his deal to to come back to it to begin with. Yeah. So I mean, you know, Hollywood is a house of lies. I mean, if I was writing or in charge of season three of something and everybody hated season one and two, yeah. what would I say? I'd say, oh, yeah, that guy whose name's on everything and over there. No, he's got nothing to do with it. Don't worry. It's not bad. It's not as bad as that guy made. I mean, you know, you would you would lie and make, you know, say things about stuff. We my point being is maybe it's true. Maybe Kurtzman has nothing to do with it. Maybe. I mean, I think you have to judge the product based on whether it's good or not. And, yeah. you know. Who knows behind the scenes? Do we really know who was involved and how much they were involved? Um, I, I have, I have more questions about uh, Picard. I, um, does does Patrick Stewart hate the character of Picard? I mean, I think he does. I mean, you know, maybe he, you know, why did he become involved with this project? It's it's probably you know. I mean, I understand he's human, you know, just like Krusty the Clown. They drove a, uh, a, uh, a dump truck full of money up to my house. I'm not made of stone. You know, is that why he became involved? Because, you know, he seems to hate the character. Like, you know, in the first season, if he was, you know, he's an executive producer. In the first season, they insult the character. They, you know, effing hubris and all this stuff. Right. I mean, that happens in the first episode as well. Captain Shaw basically you know takes it takes the spoiler alert he, you know he takes the he cuts up Riker and Picard and I mean you know is well, and he does it in a way that you know he might you know he might not like those guys but he does it in the most condescending way and I mean I just kind of thought to American history and I was just thinking like what if you know someone from American history at, at the level of, you know, Picard might be in the Federation, like, I don't know, Harry S. Truman or something like that. Lincoln, you know, uh, Washington. And I mean, imagine the guy came around, he's like, Hey, uh, you know, I want to use your ship to do X, Y, Z or whatever. Right. And, you know, uh, good on the captain for not for saying, Hey, no, you're not going to take the whole fleet's, you know, going over here. And you want me to go the other direction without orders from anybody. No, I'm not going to do that. That's fine. But, but to insult the guy and belittle him, you know, um, they put them up in a they put them up in a cabin with bunk beds. Like there, I mean, it's kind of a joke. I just I don't know what the heck they're writing there. Well, there's some speculation, and and Rob Rob uh, Rob Burnett has said that that Shaw has an arc, but um, also consider Captain Edward uh, Captain Jellico was cut from the same cloth. Jellico was not friendly. Didn't really care for Picard and the way Picard did things. But I think Shaw is but, is one of those kind of characters who is at a starting point, but I don't see him as being the same kind of character as that admiral who, you know, expletive, expletive in Picard's face. Now, I mean, I like the character, character of Jellicoe because those, I mean, remember, him and Picard were peers at the time, right? Right. Right. And to have, you know, they're both competing for to become admirals and they want to look good. There's going to be a, some conflict between them. But there was no overt conflict, right? Jellicoe came in and he said, I'm in charge now. Yeah. And I'm gonna, we're going to do things my way, like any captain would be. I mean, if you're going to become a captain, you got to have that kind of 
hey, my way or the highway. Yeah. I thought that was a great portrayal of the two and to look at a different captain, you know, than Picard and how he does things. Yeah. I just, you know, I just sort of see things in this first, I mean, There's I don't also... like to touch things in the first episode, but I just didn't see anything of much merit there well I mean, there's also some, there's also some speculation some holes and... well and again it, it's first episode so it's it's setting up things it's laying things out and putting things on the table but there's also some speculation because there is in the end credits as we're going through all of this different all the different screenshots and the different things there's a listing of a ship destroyed at wolf 359 the Bo- the big borg incident and you right. hear you because Shaw makes a very specific thing about uh, telling Seven he wants her to go by her human name instead of her Borg name, and then he also makes a comment to Picard about you know the fact that he wasn't that that he was a Borg as well. And, I and think in- I think that's that's the core of whatever it is this animosity he's got toward Picard so is the fact that, that he was Locutus. That was in Deep Space Nine too, right? Cisco's Cisco wife was like was that killed too. at Wolf Three Five Nine. Right. Picard comes on to DS Nine in one of the seasons in the middle of like season three or four, and there's kind of a little bit of coldness there. Yeah, it was a pi- pilot episode, and and Cisco was, was like, pilot? "Okay, yeah, I'll take this job and I'll do this job, but I'll I I'm not gonna warm up to you. You're 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 the reason my wife is dead, and that that never resolved." No, and and it's something that probably would never resolve. Yeah. I mean, you know, but, but that's I mean, but that's we, like you're had... talking about. That's that's also a a a commander uh, rank because Cisco was a commander at the time. He wasn't Picard's peer. Yeah, yeah. he was he was basically talking back to a superior officer. He was smack talking yeah, Picard. But... But Picard's not going to do anything about that because right. Picard feels guilty about it. He's not going to go and say, "Oh, I killed this guy's wife and he's mad yeah. at me," you know. And that's, that's I think that's what's going to I think that's what's going to come up here. I, I that's a complete guess on my part, just based on people speculating about what's in the credits. But um, I would it would make sense if Shaw's got some kind of Wolf three fifty nine trauma. He blames Picard, so I'm not. Yes, you're an admiral and you're fine. You're, but you're retired, and I don't have to listen to you. Yeah, and that's fine. But he doesn't have to say that. Like you wouldn't say that overtly. You'd just say you'd say something like, you know, thank you, sir. I'll take that under advisement, and then you'd ignore it, right? You don't have to insult the guy straight to his face. I mean, seven of nine, Annika, whatever you want to call her. I mean, she's in the brig, right? The captain said, "Hey, drive my ship over here," and. He goes to bed and she drives his ship the opposite direction. Yeah. I mean, she's she's in she's in chains, surely, right? Uh, we did. Come, we haven't seen that yet. Yeah. How come Picard and and Riker they can't they always have to steal someone's ship or try to trick somebody into getting what? The, can't they buy a ship or rent it or or do something else like that? Like, that's like, question it's always has come be, up. Yeah. You know, Picard's got to go cap in hand to everybody. Please, please give me a ship. What the. You know, well, can see, they not now, rate something different? S- stop and consider, though, that was Riker's idea to go back to Titan because it's his old ship. He knows he knows that there are a couple of people on the on the ship that could probably help him out, and but not the captain. But not the captain. The see, most important person. He's he's figuring he's going to get a favor, and we'll just we'll just take the ship and whatever. But you're right. That so, that but is who are the who are the? There's only there's ensign. Um, there's Ensign LaForge, LaForge and right. she's she's an ensign. She's not going to do nothing. Right? Yeah, and and 
and of course seven of nine and i mean you know Riker doesn't know seven of nine he's never met her you know he know picard knows her because of what last season he saved her from being president of evil earth or something i, I something like you that. know like it's just the threads are very very thin i'm, I'm not but you know, at the same time, better, but... it's it's the first episode. So, yeah. and and I there are <clears throat> give even even though the fact that this is a next generation reunion this season, <clears throat> this first episode had so many callbacks to the Kirk movies, uh, specifically Star Trek Two, Star Trek Three, uh, and a little bit of Star Trek the Motion Picture, but. Um, all of these, you know, musical callouts and and leaving Dry Dock, all of those things. I mean, all of that straight out of Star Trek too. I mean, you can hear James Horner in the music that Barton has written for this thing. You can hear Goldsmith's cues. You can hear th- those things as a as an emotional hook. So you you, you see that as a this. positive thing, Jason? Like you see uh, that as it if it's done good. if it's done organically, it can be a positive. Yes. If it's clunky and if it's, hey, look at what we're doing. I didn't get a sense that that's what he was doing. This feels more like, well, I made the comparison to The Force Awakens. This episode feels like, let me reassure you that we're in good hands here before we go off on this adventure. See, I I think that those things, I mean, you know, they're nice, but they don't really, like, they don't really affect the the storyline. You know, oh, so we're going to drive around the ship a little bit. The ship's going to go out at dry dock. Those are just, you know, uh, little pieces in between the story. It doesn't matter if you can, you could cut those out, right? It's sure. Is it nice to see a ship go through those big doors? Yeah, it looks cool. And we did that in Star Trek 2 or whatever. I think what Jason is saying, though, is that. I think what Jason is saying, though, is that. When you see that in the first episode, he's trying to let you know, hey, give me an episode. I got to take care of what happened in season one and two <laughs> in this first episode and get to where my story. But here's some, I, here's some cues that, hey, I'm a fan. I've been, I like the show, and, and I'm putting these little Easter eggs in there for the audience to maybe think, hey, this show could get better as it goes along. Is that what you're trying to say, Jason, about that yeah. first episode? Well, kind of- also, also, I think it, it helps to remember that Terry Metalis has been with Star Trek since Enterprise and Voyager. And Metalis Prime, which we saw today, or which in this in this first episode, Metalis Prime has actually existed since all the way back in those days because Terry Metalis was a production assistant. And he did such a good job back then, it impressed the producers that one of the writers put his name on a planet. That's been around, That that's all the way back 40 years. That's how much, and, that's how much this guy running the show impressed the people that were making Star Trek back in its heyday. And, and again, I'm not saying, you know, and I understand, and I think that, you know, if you want to reassure, you know, you're sitting there and you go, the guys before me screwed this up really bad and they made it crap. Yeah. I want to reassure people. And, you know, again, those things you mentioned in it is a way of reassuring the coming out and saying, hey, all those people that you hate, that you don't like, that screwed it up before, they're nothing to do with it. It's all me. It's none of them. Yeah. Um, I, I can understand why people would do that because they want you to watch their show. Now, do they want you to watch a show because they want you to watch it anyway, or they actually did a really good job and they want you to, you know, enjoy it. I mean, that way that 
we got to wait to see that, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I agree. I, you know, my I have a, my attitude is wait and see. Let's see what uh, he does. And I think, you know, I understand him trying to reassure us. But to me, the proof's in the pudding, right? I'm going to wait and see. Right. Whatever happens, then I'll judge him after that. The other piece of that is you got, you've got you got a number of people who have seen, like Dave Cullen, uh, Gary Nerdrotic, Robert, uh, a number of them have seen either the first six episodes, because I guess screeners were made available to the media. By the way, Nikki, I'm still waiting mm-hmm. for that email. Um, or somehow they've seen all ten episodes. And the people who have seen more than just the first episode all have generally positive things to say. There are problems. But they generally have positive things to say about the about the series, the season as a whole. Engadget, I think, is really the only one out there that I've seen that has completely uh, 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 dismissed and and gone negative on it. Uh, Keith the Candido uh, says it's a mixed bag for him, but he's got positives and he's got negatives, and overall, he thought it was he was thought it was okay. Uh, comics and, and- Di- Comics Division says. It's not without problems. It's not great, but it's better than anything else that we've gotten from from this this crowd. And, and I like those guys, and I I you I mean, know I would like to trust them, and I would hate to be to feel betrayed <laughs> at the end. Yeah, uh, that they've they've you know fed me stuff because they got something for free. But we have been betrayed by people, you know, in these those positions in the past who've said, you know, yeah. X Y Z, and it turned out that, that they were lying. And they did it because who knows what, what reason they did. But I, I, you know, my summary is I'm not impressed with the first episode. It is, you know, marginally. Be- is it better than, you know, season one and two? Sure, but that's a very, very low bar. Sure. I mean, sure. No, I get you know, that. Yeah, you know, I, and that to me that it's such a low bar that that doesn't even matter. You know, like saying it's better than season one or two. Phew, who cares? Like they were they were such crap. Um, but uh, you know, I would tell people. You know, wait and see, but they, so I let hope me they, let me ask you this. I hope they're turning up the, the Let the me ask you this with a different the, uh, a different comparison though. Instead of comparing it to season one and two of, of Picard, is Picard season three, episode one, better than Star Trek Discovery? Oh, you're gonna put me on the spot here. I mean uh, you know, Discovery it's hard to say because Discovery we have four seasons and it's so bad nothing nothing fits in Discovery like it's like this it's not Star Trek right. all these pieces that don't fit and you know I, I was thinking you know the other day about Discovery and Michael Burnham is supposed to be half Vulcan and they played her up in the first episode about how she's you know she's not Vulcan but she's got the, that Vulcan logical mind she's like Spock yeah. and then in the fourth or third season she's crying all the time Yeah, I'm like what the hell is going on did we forget uh, yeah, you know it's just one of the things. But but, um, uh, but let me ask you: Does does I, you know, I does Picard? Does this episode of Picard feel more like Star Trek, though? I mean, it's got all the trappings. It's got the music. It's we're back on a ship. We're back. You know, we're back out in space. We're we're we get we're getting the band back together as far as the next generation crew. Does it feel you know, more like Star Trek than Discovery? Maybe the band should never have gotten back together, especially if Patrick Stewart doesn't really is not his heart. He's the heart of the show of the original show. If his heart's not in it, maybe they should not have bothered to get the band back together. Yeah. Is uh, Marina Sirtis going to come back? I I had the impression, you know, I heard uh, she what, was. Oh, everybody's back. Even uh, Tasha Yar is supposed to come back. Everybody's oh, really? back. Everybody's back. Um, I I, you know, I haven't I haven't heard anything dead, about. Right? So, 
Uh, yeah, he's still he's still dead in a synthetic. But I think they're Dana, they're Dana's glossing are, over arguably that. the most popular character. He's not coming back. He's dead, right? Are they going to bring right. him back too? No, uh, Brent you know, Brent Spiner that, is playing Lore this year. Oh, Riker said that uh, you know uh, Troy is looking after the kids or something. She can't make it. She's looking after the kids. She no, no, that's no. He he, he said that? a line. He said a line. He said I think Deanna and Kestra will do will do okay. My not being there. So the line oh, right. there implies that they're having some problems, but we've seen we've seen Deanna in the in the trailers. Yeah, you know, she's right. coming. They're, they're all coming back, yeah. so we shouldn't we shouldn't have any problem with that. You know, it so. just no. the problem I have with that is it sounds like a whole bunch of you know member berries. Hey, we're getting the band back together. They all suck, and the writing is stinks. But hey, watch the show because it's all these people that you used to like, even though they're not going to do anything. You and again, I don't know. I haven't seen it. Yeah, don't know if they're going to do. But it's a little bit suspicious. <laughs> Now, understanding that you've uh, just uh, seen like the first episode of season three, would you um, kind of putting you on the spot a little bit, but uh, would you say that for a person that has not seen season one and two of Picard, do you, would you be kind of uh, akin to recommending season three as maybe um maybe a starting point of it i mean i understand that there's other you know plot lines and stuff like that from season one and season two but uh it it looks like uh you know they're doing the 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 reset on everything yeah i mean hard to say because season one and two are so bad um i mean i don't think there's we didn't bring anything from season one into season two, right? Everyone forgot that part. Picard's a robot, you know. Oh, let's carry well, on with uh, with this with murder science woman. Who this cares feels that, murdered that guy? Yeah, this feels like a reset, a soft reboot. They, um, I think they were all they all the seasons so far have been like like that. Yeah, but this one, I mean, this one has this one feels more like we're we're clearing the table and resetting everything in place and. As far as Picard being a robot, they're going to really, from what I've heard, they're going to downplay everything and possibly even ignore that um, because reasons. Well, it, but it was a stupid idea and it didn't make it sense was. when they it did it anyway. Was. So of course they should ignore it. Yeah. I mean, so <laughs> I, you know, do you need to see season one and two to, to watch three? No, of course no, not. And you're you better off not seeing them. Yeah. To be honest, and... now my my problem is that I have not yet seen enough in season three to make me think that they're not going to re repeat some of the mistakes in season one and two. Not all of them. I mean, they cannot. You know, you would have to try to be as bad as season one and two. Yeah. Like you'd have to actually go out there and write. I'm going to write the worst show possible. Well, also that. also so... consider that Ter Terry Metalis did uh, Twelve Monkeys did the did the series on sci-fi based off the based off the movie. That's a great and series. And he had there there lots uh, plenty of critical acclaim there. You know, lots of positive buzz on that. So I uh, you know, I'm I'm with and, you. I haven't seen anything right, past Jason. the first episode. And you're right, I'm being episode. a little overly negative. I think you probably well, I probably should approach it with a little more trust based on the guy's background. I totally but, get it though. It's defensive coloring. You're you're sitting there going, sure. you know, "Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, you know. Mm -hmm. fool, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me." You know, once bit, twice times, shy. 
Shame and on me, me, me. It's it's one of the things where you sit there going, I don't know, because some people are sitting there. Going, it smells like a bait and switch, and it and it might be, but I but there are enough people from different parts of the fandom of Star Trek saying similar things in a positive light. There's no there's no lesbian agenda. There's no you know woke politics front and center in your face. You know, people who have seen more than just the first episode are all consistent in their in their positive comments to it. So, but and yeah. so let me interject here a little bit too. Just that, like the more I listen, I just feel like this is like my Highlander fandom. It's like every movie, in some <laughs> way, was a soft reboot. Then you had the TV show that was <laughs> that's pretty decent, uh-huh. you know. So then they had this horrible TV movie that followed it, Highlander: The Source. And I feel like with Star Trek, like when when you grew up watching Star Trek in the '90s, there was a flow. Next Generation, then here's the Deep Space Nine, and here's here's the Voyage. There was a flow, and it was a universe, and it all kind of fit together. Uh-huh. Here, it just feel it really feels like. A bunch of people are in a room and they're just throwing out these ideas and we'll just see what sticks and what doesn't stick. <clears throat> nothing's flowing, nothing's sticking together, nothing's really making sense. You know, maybe uh, I feel like season three of the card probably is good based on the reviewers who are saying it's good. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But but I am curious. A lot of them say it still has its problems, but what are those problems? specifically what what do they think the problems are and again when Picard season three is over is Picard season three gonna make me say oh I need to go watch Discovery now I need to go watch this now I need to go they've taken this kind of approach where it's like hey if you like yeah I remember I can't remember what writer it was it was one of the Spider-Man writers and he was saying well we got a Spider-Man for everybody if you like Spider-Man when he's married to to Mary Jane, we have that Spider-Man. You like Spider-Man, Peter Parker by himself? We have that Spider-Man. You like Spider-Man wearing the black Venom suit? We have that Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And as a fan, I'm like, that that doesn't make sense. Well, <laughs> if, I think... Like, if you don't like Star Trek and what it is, then watch Discovery. <laughs> because it is nothing like Star Trek. Well, than, now, you know, let, me, name only. let me... Let me... Addre- let me... Let me uh, point to this... Uh, this notion here because strange new worlds and star trek discovery are in tone completely different kinds of shows you you watch discovery and you watch strange new worlds and outside of the words star trek on the tin it, they don't they don't resemble each other they don't they don't look a thing alike but strange new worlds technically is a spinoff of discovery because well, you Anson know, the, Mount the started, and, yeah, that's yeah. true. The the lighting and the sets are similar, right? Like it's still dark. Well, not as Strange dark, New Worlds isn't light. dark. Strange New Worlds well, looks like the original series if the original series was made in the in the late two thousands instead of nineteen sixties. I mean, it's the, uh, the 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 cinematography. You're going to get that whole cinematic cinematography. But if yes. you if you look at the next generation films compared to the next generation television show. The sets are darker. The lighting, yeah, the lighting is different because you're shooting on a different medium. You're in a different aspect ratio. You're on a different kind of screen, uh, projecting for that. So there's there's a number of different things there that uh, that come into play. 
okay, I'm going to step away for just a minute. Christopher, you are in charge until I get back. Okay. Try not to break anything. <laughs> I, so, I, I, I hope not. <laughs> on, if you're talking about uh, Strange New Worlds, I have a question. How come, and, and I, I think I watched the first seven or eight episodes. I still got to finish off the last two. How come the the uh, the pilot, the person who, uh, the girl who drives the ship, always talks to the captain? Everyone else is like, yes, captain, no captain. She talks to him like he's her buddy. She never says sir or captain after it. Like, why is she so different than everybody? It bugged me when I watched it. I'm like, mm-hmm. how come she's talking to the captain like he's her buddy? Yeah, and he never corrects her. He tells her, "Hey, call me Captain." Yeah, uh, definitely. It, it, it's a, a little bit of uh, uh, like, "Oh, she's she's got spunk," <laughs> you know, sort of stuff that uh, she's like, you know, giving it back to uh, to Captain Pike. And it is strange because he doesn't correct her, and and um, no one else does it either. Like number one doesn't do it. She's all like Captain, and like you'd expect from Star Trek, right? And then so, yeah, you would you would expect a, a little bit of a um, <clears throat> excuse me, kind of a, uh, a, a military protocol, you know, as it were, you know, or a United Federation uh, planets protocol. But it does seem a lot more casual as far as um, the the command structure and stuff like that. You know, it's well, like, but- hey, if we have an objection, we're gonna. You but know, only with her, though. Everybody else is more is proper. It's my, I, you know, this is a sidebar. I just brought that up, but it's always bugged me. But I'm watching the show, and every time she's like, "Yeah, whatever, dude," or you know, whatever she's saying to the captain, "Oh, can you drive us over there?" Sure, no problem, bud. Like, or, you know, I mean, I'm. That's not what yeah. happens, but yeah, that, that idea, and it just bugged me. I'm just like, what the hell? Ugh. Like no, no, itch. no, no. I, I, I totally under, understand, and I totally get it because it did kind of throw me off. You know the the first uh, the first couple of episodes that I saw it, but then you know after the first couple of episodes, I didn't necessarily get used to it. I was like, okay, well, it seems like they're not going to address this, or they're not, you know, they're just going to let this go. And only um, her. Everybody else is proper. Right? And so, yeah. Like, like if they were all like that, I'd be like, all right, that's not very you know Star Trekky, but. Okay, whatever. Every, the captain likes everybody to call him buddy. All right, I can, I, you know. But no, no, I think no, that's no, just I, a I, sign of the times. You know, people just don't have respect for authority anymore. That was but, what I felt like when I saw uh, Picard season one. When I started, why I quit watching it. It's just, it is what's in our society today. It's endemic. It's that people don't respect authority. People don't respect things that have come before. It's interesting, you know. You know, going back. To just thinking about how the world has run for so long, you know, it, it, you go back to ancient times. It's we listen to our elders, <laughs> we respect their wisdom. You know what I'm saying? They've been there, they've done it. Now it's just like, well, whatever, Captain, I'll do whatever I feel like. You know, there's no, there's no respect anymore. You know, I, I, I would, you know, while I would normally buy that, it's just that all the other characters in the show show the captain the proper respect. Mm-hmm. It's just that one character. And it's not like it's the XO and they used to be buddies or something like that. They went to the academy together or something. So in their off time, they are more familiar. It's everybody's proper except that one character. I'm just like, why is that one character? Is she like really strong and can beat the captain up and he's afraid to call her on it? Or does does she have blackmail on him? Or are they lovers? Or what? I mean, what's 
yeah, that, that's a really so... interesting point of uh, sci-fi snob that you bring up because that's never addressed. You know, it's like, why is she, you know, so snarky and, and gets, you know, is able to get away with it? Who you is know, this? what is this past? Is there a past? That sort of thing. Who are we talking and, about? And that's kind of one of the 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 sort of fumbles, I feel, in, in the writing, uh, at least with, with that character in the, you know, dynamic between her and and pike you know, you know, you know when i was in the um, military as far as, like I, the chain of command goes yeah when i was in the military if i looked the wrong way at my boss they'd call me on the carpet mm-hmm. well you know? let me let me step in and remind and, and remind everybody that starfleet is a quasi military scientific operation it's not necessarily strict protocols like like you would find in a hard science fiction space military military science fiction like but ha- like honor harrington the, for example but but everybody in the entire show and in every star trek show pretty much treats the captain with respect mm-hmm. and this one character is the only one that i've seen that hasn't wait, know, that is wait, within... wait, which which character are we talking about uh, i don't what's her name uh, she's she's driving the ship on strange new worlds Oh, the got the um, shaved head on the side. Yeah, I think there there is. Did you see the whole season? I I got up to episode seven or eight. I got to finish it off. Okay, there. I think uh, I think there's a there's a history that those characters have, but hasn't it hasn't been completely fleshed out um, that way. But you know, I've seen you know, you know people who you know. Sometimes when you're in a military organization, you'll have somebody who you come up with, you know them personally, yeah. and then they outrank you, and you end up working for them. But still, usually in public, like on the bridge of a ship when there's things going on, you're going to say yes or no, sir, whatever. And in private, it'll be just Bob or whatever, right? Like, yeah. Because, you, you know. But in public, like on the bridge of a ship during operations, you're still going to show that. But this yeah. character doesn't seem to do it. So I was just... You know, I'll watch. I'll try to watch the rest if I can pull myself out to do it and find out what's going on. There's, there's one. Weird. There's one episode of Strange New Worlds that I absolutely cannot stand. What they did with Mabenga. Um, he makes a decision that I look at this and, as a father, I just, I, I want to shoot him in the head, just because no, no father worth his salt would make the choice that he makes. And other than that. It's not a bad show. It's not a great show. It's not. It's certainly not in the top three Star Trek series for me. But it's much better than anything else that we've had in live action outside of of this first episode of of Picard season three. And and that's the problem is that have our standards been lowered so yep. far? Yes, they that have. We look at Picard season uh, three episode one and say, "Hey, this is good." When it's not necessarily good, it's yes. just not crap compared to what we had that's my and i'm not saying it is or not i'm just saying that's well, always in the back of my mind and i, when and I think it. no that's that's a that's a perfectly valid way of looking at it but i think also too is if we if we reward the stuff that's better than crap then maybe we get more stuff that's better than crap and then somebody comes up with something that's better than better than crap and we reward that and and it steadily improves i hate to say that that's a strategy we need to employ here but it might be what we have to do. And I will point out <coughs> that, you know, like I said before, Akiva Goldsmith just signed this big, big development deal with Warner Brothers Discovery. He's out at Paramount. He's not doing anything with Paramount CBS. He's got a deal now with Warner Brothers, which means 
if if Strange New Worlds goes beyond season two, Goldsman's not on it. And uh, Kurtzman has got his, you know, Now You See Me 3, and he's got a couple of other movie projects that he's working on, so he's not doing anything. But the key thing here, and I, I could be wrong, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that CBS has not greenlit any more Kurtzman projects with regard to Star Trek. We don't have Section 31 coming. We don't have this con prequel thing that's coming. None of that's none of that's moving forward. It's, it's been announced. Is that con prequel? The, the con from the original Star Trek? Yeah, Nicholas Meyer. Nicholas Meyer was working on a series. Of, originally, it was going to be something. But see, that is being reworked into an audio podcast. That's not going to TV. Mm. And we already got that story with... Greg Cox's novels, and they were excellent novels, so I don't see why we need to do it, but the con prequel series got shunted off and is going to be a podcast now. So that TV show is not happening. We, the, the Section 31 thing is never going to happen. The The Starfleet Academy thing is just on paper. CBS has not greenlit anything else, which means they're not giving Secret Hideout any more money. And all of these years, we've had reports in various different places, Doomcock, one of them, but also Robert Murdett and some other places, where a lot of production of Discovery, for, for specifically, depended on the international distribution deals. And if Amazon is balking and sitting there saying, well, we don't want to pay for this stuff anymore, and one of the reasons why you get Paramount Plus ex expanding into all these other new territories that gives them a place to put Star Trek out in, on Paramount Plus, and they're not having to worry about uh, paying another another channel. But also, Amazon <coughs> Amazon's not paying them. I don't want your show anymore. Amazon can't afford it anymore. <laughs> well, no, a Amazon doesn't want to pay for it. Amazon doesn't want to pay the licensing fee, the distribution fee, in order to put Star Trek Kurtzman Trek on Amazon Prime. It's that bad. Well, they they sit there and say we it's it's bad. We don't want it. Nobody yeah, wants to watch it. This is a, a like question in too. Like, how do we know the ratings for these shows? You know, I just we don't. I, what was I just looking at the other day? Oh, you know, it was it's comics. You know, it's like no, it, there used to be. You could go look up how many comics are being sold, who's selling them, what company, where they're at. Yeah. And that information <clears> used to be public, even with the TV. And now everything's like, well, we're just making our show. We're putting it on our our channel and it's like well is the show doing good is the show making money do people actually like this show well it yeah. depends what's it de going on one it depends on the format because if you're talking about network television there's still nielsen numbers and nielsen has uh introduced <coughs> some product for tracking streaming uh, mm -hmm. streaming services generally will count watch time. It's kind of like the way you, YouTube does. You know, your, your, if your watch time is high, your show is doing well. That's one of the reasons why some of these shows will front load more than one episode at the beginning. So if you watch two episodes, then that's more watch time minutes that they can sit there and say, look at all these watch time minutes. It's a hit. And the, you have third-party companies like Parrot Analytics, Saba TV, they have access to <coughs> not all the data, but they have ac access to some sec section of the data so they can get an estimate on how, how much people are watching these shows. 
but the streaming services are not putting out any numbers other than here's how many subscribers we've got for this quarter. So you're right. There is no good objective measuring stick that we can use to look at a show, whether it's on Netflix or Disney Plus or, or, or Amazon or anything, and say this is a successful show because nobody's talking about those numbers. And as far as the comic book sales go, yes, we had Comicron for a number of years that would post those, but that's only at the retail level where these are the numbers of books that are sold to the comic book shops. It doesn't track point of sale where mm-hmm. I walk into a comic book shop and I'm going to buy Thor 140 and that counts. It's only yeah. it, it stops when it hits the store. Nobody is tracking or, or not anybody that I know of was tracking sales past that point at the consumer level. It was only at the retail level, which means if I can sit there and say, hey, I sold 50 copies. Well, the comic book shop probably ordered 50 copies so they could get one variant cover. But that doesn't mean that we sold 50 copies at the store. But then you could you could track the number of orders over time from a store. Well, they put their orders down to 10 and started. So we know we're getting 10 of this or 10 of that. I feel like when I turn on my Netflix or whatever, you know, here's a bunch of shows and I'm thinking in my head, how are they making all these shows? There's not, you don't have like when we were younger, you don't have the promotion anymore. You know, I just turn on the Netflix and I I started watching this show called, I think it was called making fun. It's this guy that makes toys for kids and they, they call, I started watching my kids. It's hilarious. I love it. This guy, He's calling little kids brats. I don't even know how the show got on Netflix. <laughs> it got made. It's so funny, but you guys should watch it. But but I'm thinking, this this is a funny show. I like it. How would I ever know about it? Unless yeah, they, it just Netflix will have to promote it itself. Right? And I checked yeah. it out. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the streaming services um, and the use of larger properties to try and grab viewership in, I think right now that they're going through what um, DC and to some extent Marvel uh, went through and is still going through uh, in respect with the fact that they're going to have to uh, have events come up, you know, like, you know, and, and then, and like, I'm just going to go back and I know it's it's been it's been a little while since this happened but um when they did they brought back the new 52 or or they they brought about the new 52 yeah. for DC. You know, that was going to be like a total like, you know, wipe the slate clean, we're going to reboot everything. We're going to make uh, the Justice League younger. We're 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 going to even, you know, do some books where there isn't a Justice League, where they're meeting up for the first time, that sort of thing. And then that didn't work. And then that led to rebirth. Well, let me and, let and, me correct you there and, because the first year of new first year of New Fifty Two, sales were booming across all all tiers, not just at DC, but Marvel and IDW. Everybody got a boost because it was something brand new and you're right that it ultimately it failed but that first year sales were booming compared to Mm -hmm. how things were going and yeah and this goes all the way back to crisis on infinite earth we need an event 
you know, the event sells this big thing, and it's just a giant crossover thing, and if you want to know what's going on here, you got to read this one, and you got to go get this one, and you got to go get this one. Um, the, the challenge with streaming services and, and that sort of thing is you can't do any crossovers. You can't do any, any, you know, mix and match on the shows. You could do it probably with Star Trek because wait, there's wait. more than one show. And, and we're going to get that with Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks. Don't give them any ideas, Jason. Well, they're doing it. We're going to get a low. We're going to get lower decks characters on Strange New Worlds and vice versa. This next season. Isn't lower get... decks a cartoon? So they're going to yes. cast live action people. Careful. Well, the people Careful. you're going to get the people who play uh, the people who play the characters in the animated show are going mm -hmm. to be their live action counterparts. Voice actors and vice versa. Jack Quaid plays. Uh, I don't even know the guy's name. Purple hair. Uh, he's he's there. He's going to do and and Tawny Newsom, who plays the the lead, those two are going to play their characters in Strange New Worlds. Now, not only is this crossing over between animated and live action, but you're also what a hundred years apart. Not sure how they're going to make that work. Uh, there's and, you know there's there's some Netflix executive sitting there right now listening to the show and he's going, I got a great idea. For a Netflix show, Orange is the New Stranger Things. Yeah, let's cross everything over with New Stranger Things. Cross everything over. <laughs> well, you see, they they just announced yesterday we're getting a new we're getting a reboot of Starsky and Hutch. They're going to be women this time. And I'm like, they did that show. It's called Cagney they and Lacey. They did. No, I, I was going to say the same thing, Jason. Wasn't yeah. that Cagney and Lacey? Cagney and Lacey. It's Cagney and Lacey is Starsky and Hutch with women. You don't need to do a women Starsky and Hutch. And if, I mean, to, to when I was like using of uh, the fifty-two as an example, um, I meant like a a a, a, a reset and, yeah. and 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 as a reset of something. It's like, hey, look, this is what we're doing, that sort of thing. And towards the end of the new fifty-two era, it seemed like the people writing the new 52 uh, aside from a, a you know a, a couple of uh storylines and stuff like that it seemed like a lot of them weren't invested in dc history and and right. and weren't and weren't uh didn't really care about it i mean it's it's like they cared about the iconography as far as like okay well superman that sort of thing everybody knows superman you know, that sort of stuff, but they didn't really give a damn. And it seems like the streaming episodes are streaming uh, providers right now. They've got a lot of people in charge that are um, like, oh, cool. Hey, wait a second. I know this thing. I know Star Trek. I I've heard about this, that yeah. sort of thing, you know, and I've heard about, you know, Picard and, and, uh, you know, to to some extent, you know the 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 Mandalorian and and that sort of thing, not specifically the Mandalorian, but everything that's come, you know, the offshoots of the Mandalorian and the uh, the Star Wars movies, um, where they're like, okay, cool, hey, we've got this, let's go ahead and uh, try something new, but they don't have any well, history to work from and they don't care about the history. Well, that's and, it. Exactly. And, and, and that goes back to MS's, uh, thing about like, you know, where do you give up? Yeah. You know, where do you like draw the line and, and say like, Hey, I'm going to stop and stuff like that. And it seems 
that at least with Picard season three, there may be, and it's a last gasp. Well, here's here's my thought to that point. People care about. If you look yeah. at if you look at the ratings, if you look at the numbers for Chris Chibnall's run on Doctor Who, for example, decreasing viewership numbers across the board. I mean, the thing just hemorrhaged people watching the show. And now BBC has said, hey, Russell T. Davies, will you come back and save the show for us? Which is essentially what they're doing. They're they're waving the white flag. They're saying, all right, Russell, fix it. And they've made a deal with Disney Plus, which means they've got a lot more money to spend on this stuff. Davies is going through Bad Wolf, which means BBC is not directly, wholly, 100% solely responsible for the show anymore. So go do your thing. CBS has never understood Star Trek. From the 1960s when when NBC had it, the networks, the suits... Never understood it. Paramount bought, uh, let's see, uh, Gulf and Western, because you had, they bought Desi, when they bought Desilu Studios, and then Gulf and Western bought Paramount, and you had CBS that comes in there and and all of that. (coughs) They've never understood Star Trek. And like has been pointed out, they don't care. They don't care about Star Trek. They don't care about Superman. They don't care. You might have specific individual executives who express some care about things. You know, David Zaslav is looking at his bottom line. He's he he thinks that there's a legacy to Superman and the Justice League and the DC Comics characters, but he's looking at it with the filter of how do we make money off of this product? James Gunn is posting tweets and doing stuff about how much he loves the character of Superman. That's a completely different attitude, but they can they they're not diametrically opposed to each other. They can work in concert with each other. Where you have an executive that sits there and says, okay, how do we maximize the potential of our product? And you have somebody who's at the, at the foot soldier level, you know, the general level, the colonel level, who sits there and goes, okay, how do we make this thing the best it can possibly be? I think Terry Metalis is one of those guys who looks at this and says, how do we make this thing a good Star Trek show as opposed to it's Kurtzman Trek? Because, you know, it's Kurtzman's, Kurtzman doesn't care. He never has. It's a it's a means to an end for him. Same for J.J. Abrams. They don't care about this stuff. It was just but that's what you're you know, supposed to do as an executive, right? Yeah, like that's what Kathleen Kennedy should have done, right? Right. I've got this pro- this this IP Star Wars. It's worth a ton of money. My job is not to write a Star Wars movie or whatever. It's to find the right guy to write that specific yeah. Marvel movie or Star Wars movie or whatever. Yeah. That's your job. I, I mean, if I was, I wouldn't give a crap about what these guys are doing as long as it's good. It's really good, and it's going to make me money. That's yeah. what they're supposed to do. You know, you pick, like you said, you pick the general to fight this battle for you, whatever, you know, whatever, the, seeing the movie or show as, <laughs> as a battle, right? Like, yeah. this guy is going to do good at this. He's going to do this. This guy is better at that. He's going to do this. That's what they should be doing, right? Like, you know, the, the executives don't have to understand the property into the detail that the director does or right. the showrunner. And I think you know, you're going to see more of... The right, guy. right, and I think you're going to see more accountability at that level, too, because, like, we just got we just got these articles this week about how Disney and Bob Iger are rethinking, are having to rethink all of the release plans. So, yeah. you know, Feige has even confirmed 
that on the Disney Plus television side of things, they're not going to be rolling out as many shows as frequently. Everything is being dialed back. Everything's being cut back. Now, part of that could be nobody's watching this stuff. We need to rethink our strategy. But the other thing is these things cost way too much money for us to be rolling out 10 of them at a time. We've got to, yeah. we've got to be a little bit more judicious in our spending. But the you other thing, careful. too, you, if you look at um, – I, I had an example in my head uh, earlier, and, and now I can't remember what it was. But, well, I, and, you know, Dr. Who, I guess, was one. You're looking at people coming away, deciding they're done with a, the IP – how do you adjust for that? What do you fix? What do you do? And, you know, it's like WDW Pro was talking about, you know, they're going through the market research to try to figure out what the next Star Wars movie can be that will bring in audience. And their their research, quote unquote, says, well, Ray, Grogu, Chewbacca and R2-D2. Well, that's that's data. That's not anything that's <laughs> has to do with what what your customer actually wants. Oh my God! You know Hollywood I mean, learns the wrong lessons, right? Yeah, it, it it's totally their fault too, right? They let yeah. their they knew that their IP <laughs> was going down, and a, Doctor Who is a great example. I mean, they how many years were there of there was harsh, harsh criticism, and they they like people would just hammer it, and they would go, uh, okay, I'm going to do the same thing, and people would hammer them again, and every year the amount of people watching would continue to sink lower and lower and lower, and they just go, nope, just keep going, keep yep. going. Like they could have, and now they're in a, they're so deep in a hole. They're like, how can we save this? Yeah. Right. If they had, after the first year or two, if they said, oh, wow, everybody really hates our stuff. Why don't we change it and make it good before we lose everybody who just throws up their hands and says, screw it. I'm not ever watching this again. It's so bad. And a good example of that, a good example of that with, with regard to Paramount, especially because they've already gone through this Sonic the Hedgehog. Where the fans oh, sat there, and they look at that first that first trailer, and they went, "What is this abomination? I'm not going to watch this. What is uh, what? What's up with this?" And they ended up fixing it because the guy who was in charge of the actual movie itself looked at that feedback and said, "Okay, we've rolled a one here. We need to fix it." You know, you know I'm not a Hedgehog fan, but I looked at the two. Like there was a lot of criticism of the way Sonic looked in the first part, and I looked at two of them. I'm like. They don't look that different to me. Like they look about the same. I understand fans are like, no, it's yeah. really different and much better and everything. But I'm like, you know, as a, I would consider myself a normie in that space because I don't really know anything about. It. I didn't play the games. Yeah, I'm just like, oh, it seems the same, pretty much close enough. Like, why, you know, what's the problem? But I appreciate that they did that. It it, it seems so counterintuitive um, that of of course you know it's show business mm-hmm. okay and and they're and at the end of the day they're in for the profits and stuff like that but you would think that the executives in, instead of you know referring to all the market data you know with uh ray and grogu and all this stuff and and maybe you know and i'm okay i'm gonna say it hopefully nobody hears it and actually does it um <laughs> You know, throw them into a movie Careful. together. You know, it's like, uh, hey, and, and you know, Uh-oh. we'll 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 figure it out. You know, as we go along or something like that. Yeah. And 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 we'll fix it in know, post. It's in in yeah, exactly. And instead of just uh, you know, listening to the directors or the people that actually you know, uh, the creative people behind the scenes that actually made this stuff successful in the first place. 
yeah. you know, and, and, and I'm not, I'm not uh, objecting to taking, you know, it in a, you know, new direction or maybe like a new sort of thing. I'm not objecting to that, but just hold on to that history and just, you know, actually put people in, you know, creative control that are, that actually give a damn about the properties, yeah. you know, and really well, want to, to see what's, yeah, so um, a good example of that coming up is the new animated X-Men 97. Because Bo DeMaio, who is the showrunner on that, he's in charge of the writer's room, he's come out publicly saying one of the requirements for being on the writer's staff of that show is that you have to be a fan of the original animated X-Men from the 90s. You have to understand this show. And he, he publicly called out the writer's staff of The Witcher for you know some of them actively uh, disdaining the game. Some of them have never in, have never immersed themselves, have never gotten familiar with the game or the books, and they're writing the show. Well, how can you write this show and have it be faithful to the source material if you are actively negatively inclined toward the source material? That doesn't work. So I, I thought that was a good a good piece when when he sat there and said, Everybody that's working on the new show has to be a fan of the old show. Because there's your starting point. There's your respect for the source material. Because if they don't know the old show and you're picking up exactly where the old show left off, you're already in the water without an oar. You know, Jason, I'm just going to take an example from my own life as a minister. Okay. You know, it's like if somebody's going to write a sermon and they're not going to use the Bible, they're just going to use some book they found on a bookshelf. It just doesn't make sense. <laughs> Exactly right. You know that sermon? Use the Bible. You know exactly right. Remember that Star Trek show? Watch the Star Trek show. You want to write Spider Man? Read a Spider Man comic. It's just like common sense just does not seem to exist anymore on this world. So so here's my Star Wars pitch. We take all the best characters from Star Wars. So Grogu, Ray, um, R2D2, and Darth Vader. They're all, and let's throw in. Let's throw everyone loves Ewoks. Let's throw those four in there, and it's an A-team like show where they fly around <laughs> in the spaceship and they go and they solve people's problems. The, we the we have them. an A-team. They're called the Bad Batch. Uh, yeah, that's oh, true. Oh damn! And it's this and it's better, not a though. bad show, but it's not the show that I was hoping for when they announced the Bad Batch. I really yeah, wanted ho- the A-team in Star Wars, and we're not getting that. It's it's getting there. But it's not quite the it's not quite the A team that that. So uh, what, what is your um, criticism of the Bad Batch? To me, uh, it's the it's 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 the same criticism of the Clone Wars that I mentioned to you the other day, mm-hmm. which is that some of it is too kitty. Yeah. Right. Like it goes like the <laughs> the writing is a little bit too you know not illogical like a kid's. Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah. Some of it's good. I think but... my biggest objection to the Bad Batch is the fact that they're so out in the open. Oh. I mean, they're out on the outer rim. Nobody's paying attention out there to what's going on, but they're still wearing their, their clone trooper armor. Yes, it's been painted and all of this stuff, mm-hmm. but they're still wearing their clone armor, and they're, they're out where people can see them. They're not a covert black ops type of thing which is what i was hoping because that's that's how it was sold you know clone force 99 was this special ops group right they're seal team six they're special because they're not real they're they're not real clones they're modified they lack the but they have a they have a particular skill set Mm 
that makes right. them a special operations group. And the SOGs in the Navy and your and your your Rangers and your you know your Green Berets and your special your special operations forces in the military those those guys are covert. You know, SEAL Team Six. Nobody knew who was part of SEAL Team Six until one of them got doxxed. You know, that yeah. was the whole idea of these of these secret of these covert but black ops operations yeah. groups. Is that nobody knew who they were? But there's sort of two things that really um, make, a, uh, you know, a covert ops. I mean, it's the covert part, but look, not looking at that, there's two things that sort of make them uh, them special. So usually a covert ops type of team, like those things you mentioned, they'll have the soldiers in them will have more initiative, i.e. Yeah. they'll be less obedient. They're more able to think on their own and they're taught to think on their own. And, of course, more extra training. Yes. Much more training. Those are the, sort of the two main things. So I see the Bad Batch having not having, if they don't have their obedience chip or whatever turned on that's their you know more initiative aspect of it and right. the ability to think on their own and, and you know to do that so there's that aspect but yeah I, I think that would be interesting if they make a change it might be a better show and i think they're headed in that direction um i i haven't seen the latest episode that dropped this week but it feels like every now and again that that show wants to peek out from what we're getting so who knows? Maybe they're maybe they're rolling toward that. I don't know. We'll I mean, see. that's what I think. I mean, I think the problem with it is because, you know, like the Clone Wars and the and the Bad Batch a little bit, they they're not quite sure who they're writing for. Yeah. Right? Are we going to write this as a more of a kids Saturday morning cartoon thing, or do you want to make it a little bit more adult level? And then they they you know they cut it and they sometimes mistake where they where they make the cut. Right. It's too far one. Or the other. I mean, I'd prefer to see a more adult show, and I think kids would grow into that. But uh, but when you when you guys say that the the Star Wars movies in general are not very, when you say they're more young adultish in a sense, when you I, see, when you I don't watch agree with that. Movies, I don't not, agree. Not with the that originals. Not, yeah, not the originals because the originals. I mean, kids love the originals and they go back. And my, you know, theory is that the reason the kids like them is because they didn't talk down to them. Yeah, they actually had a now, you know, it, there's not any graphic sex. There's not, you know, people. Mm. Well, except the Death Star blows up and that kills off 200,000 people. But <laughs> um, generally speaking, it's not gory and stuff. So it's, in you know, kids that way. Yeah. But they don't shy away from people getting there's blown Ewoks. up or killed. Well, uh, and George I mean, Lucas has, already, uh, has always said that Star Wars was made for 12 year olds. Yeah, that's right. why and, I say but, it's young adultish. Mm -hmm. I would even say. Taking well, the first now, trilogy, it got it yeah, but got I would more childish. Young adult, though, young adult implies a certain particular style of story and a particular type of audience. Young adult is not necessarily uh, something that's made for the teens and tweens. Young adult is uh, a very specific kind of story that's told that usually involves some kind of a coming of age type of moment. But it's not necessarily something that I mean that that drives the story more than any kind of conflict or overall circumstances or whatnot. It's how do I feel about this and how do I feel about yeah. you and how do we feel about each other and how but does everybody feel about that everybody? That's young Star adults. Wars. I mean, go back and watch it. There is a lot of that. Well, my my theory is that the fall of Star Wars begins with the return of the Jedi and the Ewoks, right? Let's add in the cutesy I, thing. Right? I can Imagine see. <laughs> if they had been Wookiees. Yeah. Well, what a different movie that would have been. And they, and they were, they were supposed to be. 
Um, see, a couple a couple of things with Return of the Jedi. Yes, on the merchandising. Is this, you know, the merchandising, the toys, let's sell the toys, became a thing. Yep. And, and the walks are cute. And we'll Gar- cute. Gary Kurtz left because of that. And Gary Kurtz... Probably more, even more than George Lucas, Gary Kurtz is responsible for the success of Star Wars to a certain extent. Marsha yeah. and and the and the gang that ended up uh, uh, editing, <laughs> re-editing the movie, but but Gary Kurtz is there on set as the producer, and they're saying we don't have the money for that. You've got to come up with a different way to do it, and may forced George to be creative in ways because he didn't have the money, he didn't have the time, we don't have the we don't have the resources, figure out another way. And when Gary Kurtz left, and originally the Ewoks, that that planet was supposed to be Kashyyyk and we were supposed to get Wookiees. But because George Lucas wasn't sure if he was ever going to get anything beyond the first movie, he put a Wookiee in the Millennium Falcon and now, well, you know, you've got Chewbacca, who's very sophisticated, can handle machinery and equipment and lasers and pew pew. Well, we get to Return of the Jedi. We need this primitive Aboriginal type of of group. Well, the Wookiees, we can't use the Wookiees anymore. So cut them in half and call them Ewoks. So you just rearrange the the phonetics yeah. on it. I mean, Return of the Jedi, that first half of that movie, <laughs> uh, you know, where they save Han. I mean, that's perfect. Yeah. Right. That's perfect. Uh, and it's just in the second half where we have, you know, these primitive, tiny little people throwing rocks and hitting stormtroopers in the head with them and those stormtroopers falling down dead from a rock. To but the head. stop and consider. And, and I don't not, I don't think any of us are old enough to remember actually what happened with Vietnam. We hear stories, but the Viet Cong were similar circumstances. I mean, if you if you extend the metaphor you know, you have to stretch it a little bit, but the Viet Cong were the were the Ewoks. They didn't have yeah, all I mean, of the sophisticated equipment and machinery. They didn't but... throw rocks and 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 hit <laughs> American soldiers with sticks on their legs. Now that's true, and, but and they, they did. Felt, I mean, but they they were prim, primitive compared to what the what the U.S. had on the ground out there. So you know, it's a lot of it is just how how they approach the fight and well. If that's a if that fight is a uh, uh, you know uh, a setup for the Vietnam War, uh, George should have did a little more uh, research into how the Vietnam War went because you know they didn't win by hitting them with sticks and uh, stones and uh, no they did more complicated than that. But Lucas has said that that Star Wars uh, does have some some metaphorical Vietnam elements in it. Oh no, for sure. Yeah, I mean. So the, you know the, the the empire are the, are are World War Two Nazis. <laughs> I mean, it's obvious, right? Uh, partly. I yeah. caught I caught an interview that he did with James Cameron, uh, where not not only are the stormtroopers, you know, not only is the the empire the Nazis, but if you extend the the Vietnam metaphor, the empire is us. Some people see the United States in the empire as well. It's not one hundred percent totally one for one swap. But there's a piece of that as well, and Lucas has acknowledged that. Because remember when all of these movies got made? You know, Logan's Run, uh, uh, Close Encounters, all these different things. You know, uh, Apocalypse Now. You know, we were post-Vietnam War when all of this stuff was was done. 
And some of those films, not all of them, but some of those films were done in kind of a response, reaction, critique of what happened in Vietnam. Or, as as in the case with Close Encounters, an escape. We need to we need to get away from all of this drama and angst and terrible things that we've been doing around the world. So you know, there's there's pieces of that too. It's interesting that you bring up like the the 70s and and, and the the films that were coming out in the 70s, Jason, because I think there's a an analog for what's happening today, um, and uh, <clears throat> with the fact that in the 70s you had this sea change of the executives over at the big studios and stuff like that. You had like the introduction of Bob Evans, for example, that sort of thing, and then in and that allowed the uh the executives there were still in it for the money of course you know yeah. always being in it for the money but they were kind of cleaning the slate of the old studio system that sort of thing and and getting rid of the last vestiges of that um and that allowed this new crop of filmmakers that came from more of an independent sort of scene um, kind of independent slash low budget to come in and expand with what they were going to do. And they introduced a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of world famous um, franchises now because they were given the freedom to do that because the executives really were into creativity and, and knew that, okay, hey, if you're going to bring me something, I'm going to take a chance on you. If it's successful, it's going to make me a lot of money yeah. on the back end instead of what seems to have been going on for so long now that it's become sort of like a normalcy yeah. that you've got executives from like Microsoft coming in to these entertainment spaces and stuff like that who don't necessarily have any, any uh, you know, love um, or a love of the history of a film or creativity, you know, that sort of thing, at least creativity when it comes to storytelling and filmmaking, and they don't trust anything aside from the marketing data and, and the, the percentages and that sort of thing. And they're not allowing the creators who actually give a damn about the properties to come in and say, Hey, give me a chance, let me go ahead and do this, and I will show you that I can produce something good that will, you know, yeah. bring more advertisers to the thing, more, you know, toys in the, you know, aisle and stuff like that, and we don't have to skirt around the topic um, or, or, like, you know, lie to people saying, okay, hey, you're going to be expecting... You're, hey, we're going to give you this and then do a whole switcheroo like Master, you know, yeah. Masters of the Universe Revelations or something like that. Right. You know, it just, it's really. Well, and, and uh, Jay, Jay points out the U.S. went to to Vietnam in, into the jungle thinking they'd be in and out easy peasy. Instead, yeah. the locals ran roughshod over the U.S. He said the Empire went into the forest thinking they'd be able to easily handle the locals and they were wrong. That, there's there's a point to that. I mean that that's a that's a good point to all of that as far as you know. Let in, me counter that point too, though. I, it's a good point. I understand what he's saying, but I know you guys have you seen the Woman King? I've not seen it. No. You know that movie that came out. If you right, actually go do some historical studying on that, 
you know, the, those, uh, the homie women, they, they did fight the French. I think it was twice. And right. I think the first time it was like the French had like a few hundred people to their thousand. The second time was a little bit more and a little bit more of their warriors. But each time they met, it was like, here's a couple hundred French warriors versus a thousand of your warriors. And in the casualties were like ridiculous. It was like yeah. 50 to 80 casualties from the French to like six, 700 casualties on the Dahomey warrior side. So there is also that point that you got to at least have a little bit of the Ewok should have at least had laser guns. <laughs> you know, yeah. the, I mean, that's, I mean, I, I understand that Lucas tried to, you know, put some parallels, but the Vietnam war went on for 30 years. The Americans were involved with the last 10 years of it or yeah. so, you know, uh, that war was a lot more complicated than people think. I mean, it's not, Oh, for sure. Oh, the, you know, they went in there and on a weekend and they got their butt kicked. Like yeah. there's a lot, you know, the Vietnamese yeah. took 30 years to get where they could, where they could defeat. And they didn't even really, you know, America did not lose that war. Yeah. Right. They quit. They quit. They, America could because, have won the war if they wanted to. Well, and they it's come out. Quit. It's come out that they were that we were that close to winning when we pulled out. And, and the main reason we pulled out is because the Democrats in Congress said we're not going to put money into this war anymore. Well, they now, never declared but, it a war. But the, so well, that's true. Really have the power to do that. But <laughs> the thing is, you circle you circle back to the money. <clears throat> Same kind of thing. And, and Christopher's right. This, this parallels what we're what we're looking at now, where you have these studio executives saying we have we have been hemorrhaging money. Right now, we're yeah. bleeding out over on the streaming services, but we're also spending two hundred, two hundred fifty, three hundred million dollars on these blockbuster movies. And we're expecting them. They have to do a billion, billion five to clear uh, in order to to even start remotely making a profit. There has to come a point where the studio executives, whether it's Trevor Roth or David Zaslav or Bob Iger or whoever comes next, they have to look at this landscape and they sit there and say, "Okay, somebody make me a twenty million dollar film that's going to make me a three hundred million dollars at the box office." Somebody make me a fifty dollar, a fifty million dollar movie. Somebody make me a, 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 a thirty million dollar movie. Yeah. And let's let's like well, like like Shyamalan, but also like uh, Megan. You know, Megan was made for chump change, piddly piddly budget compared to all of these other movies that are out, and they're handily making a profit. We need more of those. We need the smaller budget pictures. And if the studio has got $250 million to spend, they can make 10 $25 million movies. Yeah. And so. to Christopher's point, that's where you get a lot of your ingenuity and your, your creativity and these new ideas coming from. Because when it's the big budget, you're just sticking to what's already there. You're not trying to... Uh, yeah. I mean, you know how they say, don't try to... Um, reinvent the wheel but that's what they're trying to do <laughs> and ruining it at the yeah. same time well i think you know it goes back to <laughs> that phrase necessity is the mother of invention creativity is born from limitations if you put this in a box okay this is all you have to work with how do i make this work yeah and there's not enough of that in hollywood right now no. all right gentlemen well we've got to uh cut it off there because i've got some other stuff that i got to do to prep for tomorrow we can continue this conversation those of you who want to jump in over on the discord server 
Uh, we're also on a number of different video platforms, social media, all that stuff. So you can check us out over there. And coming up tomorrow morning, uh, 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central, Good Morning Multiverse with all the news. Well, not all of the news, but a lot of the news of the week. It's part of the overall lineup that we've got here at Sci-Fi from ATV. Hopefully you check all of that out. And that's going to do it for us today. Uh, thanks very much, all of you, for being here. Don't forget, you can uh, leave us a thumbs up, share the link. You can support us on Subscribestar. You can get a membership on Odyssey or YouTube, either one. And we'll do this again next week. Thanks very much for being here, folks. Remember, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of SciFiForMe.com. Copyright 2023 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 